it's fun to see my colleagues here. Uh, I, I've spent 20 years with Power to Change. Don't know how that happened either, Janet. But um, uh, it, it does happen to all of us. Uh, that time moves on. Uh, I'm currently, uh, although I've spent 20 years with Power to Change, I'm currently uh, just Sean as I'm in a sabbatical season, as I'm between roles, as I think about what the Lord may have for me for the next 20 years. Uh, it happens also to many of us in that place after you've done something for 20 years, you start thinking maybe there's something else you want to do. And so uh, I'm very thankful that Power to Change has given me six months to rest and kind of refresh my soul and then also to, um, uh, to discern what it is that the Lord's leading me to next. And so that's still a couple months away, uh, but I'm in that process actively and you can continue to pray for me. Um, and I know that many of you have, uh, I appreciate, and I know many have, have shared their care and concern for me as, I, uh, as I'm in that process of discerning. <clears throat> it is a, a humbling privilege anytime I get to uh, speak with you because I'm, I'm just a member of the church. <laughs> I have no uh, spiritual authority over you. I'm just a, I'm just a guy and, and, uh, who's trying to learn and, and learn with you. And so it's, it's, it's a privilege to be able to, to come before you. And it's, it's humbling because I get to, I get to share some things uh, from this beautiful book. And... Um, get to do something that, that this book itself, James uh, says that not many should, should, should do, <laughs> and that is to teach. And so I do this um, very much with fear and trembling. <laughs> I once feared public speaking, um, but I love to teach. Uh, now I'm not so afraid of public speaking, <laughs> but I'm afraid to teach. And uh, maybe that's just part of getting older and wiser. But... Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I want to share this passage. So let's, let's read this together. We're going to read a very familiar story. Jesus is a great storyteller. And one of his most well-known stories we find in Luke chapter 10, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25. <clears throat> and, behold, and behold, uh, I, I don't think, it, yeah, it's not on the screen, so I'll give you a minute to get there. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, starting there. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is about two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. I am teaching you today not as someone who has learned all there is on how to be a good Samaritan, um, but very much rather someone who is learning and eager to learn more. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this story and for the way that it cuts to uh, the very core of what it means to be your follower, what it means to, to be a believer, what it means to be and have eternal life that at the very core it's about exhibiting compassion uh, in ways that you've exhibited it to us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we reflect on this story this morning, that you would speak, Holy Spirit, through the words I've prepared. If there's anything that I have prepared that uh, you'd rather me not say, I pray I'd forget it. If there's those things that uh, you have for us, Lord, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a good story. It's perhaps one of Jesus' most well-known stories. In fact, our culture has largely adopted the term Good Samaritan as a a title for uh, this kind of activity when someone exhibits extraordinary courage and compassion towards those who are in need. You can find it on many uh, hospital title boards. You know, they... More hospitals are called the Good Samaritan than just about anything else, I think, as you drive around uh, North America. Uh, organizations, all kinds of them, that are, are geared towards helping those who are oppressed and in need, called various forms of this Good Samaritan. I actually have sunglasses with Good Samaritan on it that my wife got from some programs she's involved in. It's, it's pretty pervasive in our culture all around us, and it's well known both by those inside the church and those outside the church, such that when I did a Giphy search yesterday for Good Samaritan gifts, I found a whole bunch. Some of them, uh, very obviously the culture knows what it means to be a Good Samaritan. Here's one that I, I found uh, as an example where they almost get it right. I don't know if we can show that, uh, show that video. Here's a kid, obviously in danger. Good Samaritan comes along. And uh, kind of helps. <laughs> so, you know, almost got it. Um, <clears throat> hashtag Good Samaritan, right? So that's, um, we, we all know uh, what it is and, and, and what it isn't. And uh, I was struck by a news story, actually, um, with the title Good Samaritan. And this week, as I was even down in the States, it made news down there. There was an um, uh, uh, American couple, a family, actually, of four camping at Banff National Park just this month. And um, in the middle of the night, uh, their family was attacked by uh, an aging wolf who had lost its ability to uh, hunt moving targets and so had... Uh, uh, chosen the calorie-rich version of humans living in tents. And so uh, the wolf had attacked 
this family, uh, this, this family and the father was defending his family from within the tent. The tent collapsed and they were crying for help. And their next door neighbor, in the middle of the night, not knowing what was going on, responded to the calls of help, unzipped his tent and uh, ran to his neighbor. He, uh, the man's name was Russ Fee and Russ described it that he had already built up a good amount of speed so that when he got to the next campsite and realized what was happening, he just kept going. And, uh, and he, when he saw the wolf, he just ran up and just kicked it. And he said, I didn't really do much to the wolf except it turned its attention towards me, which allowed the family to get out of its fallen tent into a vehicle. And uh, he followed after them shortly. And this man, Russ Fee, he was a Calgarian and uh, exhibited tremendous courage and, uh, and compassion at the risk of, of a significant amount of cost to himself as he, as he fought a wolf um, uh, kind of out of his weight class. As he says, this is a good Samaritan. This is what we know. Is, this, is a, this is a good story. This is a story that is true. Um, and, uh, and he's from Calgary. So it's like perfect, everything, right? It's like... <laughs> Um, <clears throat> so, who is my neighbor? These are, there's two questions I'd, I'd really like to actually dwell on today. Uh, the first is, who is my neighbor? The question the man asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And the second is, how can I go and do likewise? As Jesus says at the end, he says, go and do likewise. So those are the two questions. Let's start with the first. <clears throat> The lawyer in this story asked the question, who is my neighbor? It's the type of question you might ask your teacher or prof when facing a deadline or upcoming exam and wonder what is actually going to be on the test so you can narrow the scope of your work. It's like, what is actually on the test? If I don't have to study all this stuff, can I just do this? We all, I mean, every class, every exam I ever went to, somebody asked that question. It's like, what's gonna be on the exam so I can narrow my scope? And that's really what's happening here. The guys, had, Jesus, he's like, I want to have eternal life. What do I need to do to pass the exam? Do, who's my neighbor? Like, can you narrow the scope a little bit for me? Because I'm not sure I can handle loving everybody. And um, <clears throat> that's, that's what we all do. We just can't fathom the answer is everyone. That seems impossible. And so we all narrow the scope. We all draw boundaries around who our neighbor is and who our neighbor isn't who we need to have compassion on, and who we can at least ignore, but perhaps even scorn. And I just want to talk about two common boundaries that I see active in my life that I think Jesus addresses in this story. And the first of those two boundaries is I often divide who I would consider my neighbor with, uh, to those who I wouldn't consider my neighbor by those who think like me or agree with me and those who don't think like me or don't agree with me. In other words, more starkly, those who are right and those who are wrong. And maybe just not wrong, but anti-right. I see this dynamic in the story. He made the Samaritan the hero. To his audience, this was like if I told you a story today and made a guy in Calgary the hero. Oh wait, I did. All right. More seriously, it was, it was to his audience like I shared a story where a, a, a member of ISIS was the hero. Samaritans were, 
were no better than dogs to them. They were the enemies. They were, they were vile and they represented everything that was wrong with the pagan world. Samaritans were a mixed breed of, of people who had defiled the, the laws of God and, and, and were unclean and, and, and you didn't even talk to them. You didn't mention them, you didn't talk to them. You crossed the street when you saw them even when they weren't uh, bruised and bloodied. And Jesus made the Samaritan the hero. It was startling to them. It was ridiculous. To, to, to his audience, it would have been like, what is he talking about? It broke all their categories. It, it began to eat away at their boundaries. I was reading a blog recently, and um, uh, there was a quote on there by a woman named Heather Kopp. And uh, the quote goes like this, and it's been something I've been meditating on actually for more than a year. This quote is just profound to me. She says this, when we gather together around a system of shared beliefs, the price of acceptance by the group is typically agreement, which means the greatest value is being right. This usually creates an atmosphere of fear and performance which invites conformity. When we gather around a shared need for healing, the price of acceptance is usually vulnerability or honesty which means the greatest value is being real. This tends to foster an atmosphere of safety and participation, which in turn invites community. This has been a challenge to me. Who do I invite into my community? Is the price for my compassion agreement? Who do you share your compassion with? You see, Heather uh, wrote many books on, on prayer, actually. Uh, over 12 years, she'd written many books with uh, various theologians and pastors, uh, co-authoring them. Sometimes uh, she just authored them herself. And during that 12-year period, she was an alcoholic. And she kept it to herself, even from her husband. And she found so much more, except as she went through a recovery program, and, uh, and, and God's grace, she wrote a, a, a third, another book after she recovered and became sober about how Jesus' love caught up to her, a Christian drunk. And, uh, and uh, it's just, this, this quote comes from a place where she was struggling to figure out why couldn't she be real in a church but she could be so real at an AA meeting. And we have something to learn about that. The, the price of acceptance into our community. Are we willing to, to be real where we value healing? Now, hear me clearly. I do, I do believe it is important to pursue truth and accept that there is such things as right and wrong. And we should try to know what is right and true. But I also agree with Matt Chandler who recently said that to be right in the wrong way is to be wrong. And that is what it is at issue with the lawyer and Jesus. The lawyer has all the right answers. I mean, this is a profound story in that this is one of the first times where Jesus asks one of the Pharisees a question and they, they respond with a perfect answer. He aces the test. He, he says exactly how Jesus summarizes the law. He's got it. He understands it. He has all the right answers, but in his attempt to self-justify and exclude himself from having compassion on those who are wrong, it made him wrong. 
and I am tempted to do the same. So the first boundary that we need to, we need to uh, let Jesus destroy is that boundary of, of who's in. Do we agree with him or do we not? It's everyone. The second boundary that I see at work here and often in my life is those who are conveniently in need versus those who are inconveniently in need. So I like to be compassionate. I actually really do. Um, you know, when the kids come to the door asking for bottles for their soccer team, I'm actually quite happy to go. Like I have a whole uh, blue bag and so, you know, I keep them all of all, all the bottles we keep just for the instances when they come and ring the door. It saves me having to go to the bottle depot and like it cleans my, my mud room and, and, and I get a good feeling out of it. So, uh, you know, we store up our bottles just for when those kids come to the door. Uh, the pre-authorized debit plan here at church is fantastic. I mean, I hardly have to think about my giving to church anymore. It's very convenient. It's good for the church. It's probably bad for my soul because I don't think about my giving in the way that I probably should. You know, a, f a friend of mine needs help moving and they helped me uh, fix my roof. So, of course, I'll, I'll go help move some boxes. And these are all very convenient opportunities for me to express my compassion. They're good things. They're not bad things. They're good things. I should probably keep doing them. <laughs> but if I'm not careful, it can have this effect. I can start thinking, Oh, last week I tithed, I'm a good person. And I can now officially lay my compassion down so somebody else can do some good this week. <laughs> Imagine the priest on his way home. He is on his way home. He's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he's on his way from doing good work at the temple, doing the very work of God, preaching sermons, caring for the flock. He sacrificed time away from home and family to care for others. The wife and kids are waiting for him at home and I need to be a good family man too. Oh, good. You know, he, 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 he's, he, all these thoughts are going through his mind as he looks at the man on the road and he's like, I've spent my time, I've done my thing. I'm, I'm. And then he hears footsteps behind him and he's like, okay, somebody else can do this. And he keeps going. <clears throat> Convenience. What is an inconvenient need when somebody needs help that will truly cause us to sacrifice, cost us time or status or money with no tax receipt? The neighbor Jesus put in the story has no trivial need. He was wounded and dying, naked and without any discernible wealth to pay his rescuer back. Helping him was going to require time, effort, sacrifice, a willingness to get bloody, mucky, Dirty. And I think one of the biggest issues keeping us from having compassion on those outside our neat boundary lines is of accepting um, those who are in a messy state. Jesus confronts our boundary of inconvenience and challenges us that even those who are inconvenient are to be loved as we love ourselves. And I think the biggest issue for us is this idea of hurry. This is what causes the inconvenience the most. There's a, there's a, in the 70s, there's a famous study that a seminary did um, with people, pastors, training pastors in their seminary. And they did a research program where it was a two-step research program. The first step 
was that they came and did an interview and they uh, worked with a professor in one place, one-on-one. -on -one. And then the second step was to travel across campus and they were to give a talk or do something else on the other side of campus. And just outside the door, as they left one place, going to the next place, they planted an actor who was in very dire need. It was, uh, they, the actor uh, was laying on the ground on campus, uh, moaning and coughing and, and very obviously in need. What they did was, in that first part, they told some of the seminarians that they had to get to the second part right away. In fact, they were late. 